You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road from 2017 to 2020, hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Rabble Media. This episode of Women on the Road is brought to you by Deuter. They've been making technical hiking, backpacking, snow sport, bike, and travel packs German-engineered since 1898 for comfort, fit, and ventilation. Stay tuned for later in the episode when we talk with Lindsay, a podcast listener and a Deuter lover who is currently living on the road in a sprinter van. Stay equipped for a life of adventure with a durable, comfortably crafted Deuter pack. Find your perfect fit at Deuter.com. That's D-E-U-T-E-R.com. When I thought about fake van life, I'm like, well, I think that you can definitely sustain yourself on the road for extended periods of time without necessarily having this huge, beautiful van or RV. I'm Laura Hughes, and you're listening to the She Explores podcast series, Women on the Road, a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived it firsthand. Before we jump into this week's episode, we wanted to say that we're pretty excited to see you all starting to register for the first Women on the Road gathering we're holding with Van Life Diaries in Taos, New Mexico at the end of this October. We're really looking forward to the opportunity to get to meet as many of you as possible while enjoying the outdoors, fun activities, and more, all while benefiting a local nonprofit in Taos. Some of you have asked, and so we want to make sure you know that there is no camper required to attend. So whether you currently travel on the road in some way or hope to someday, we're holding this event for you. Head to the link in our show notes to read more details and register. We really can't wait to meet you in person and hope to see you there. My name is Karen Ramos. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm from Santa Maria, California. When I was first introduced to Karen Ramos, it was online. She's been making a pretty big impact in the outdoor community this year through the conversations she started in the realm of DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion, in outdoor spaces. And most recently, she went on a pretty inspiring road trip that spawned hashtag fake van life, which I knew we'd all want to hear more about. You might be listening to this wondering how diversity, equity, and inclusion connects to road travel. Your mind might also jump to a very natural, comforting thought, that you feel like the community you see and hear about on the road is incredibly inclusive and supportive. But I also want you to think about every time you search online or meet other road travelers. Do you find a lot of diversity among those who are out there? Do you feel like what you see or perhaps what you have is truly accessible to others? We talk a lot on this podcast about how anyone can live or travel on the road, but we rarely address the inherent privilege in the very statement itself. Karen's thoughts on this episode add to the larger conversation around road travel and privilege, and I encourage you as you listen to think about things from a perspective outside your own and join the conversation with an open mind. Because the community of those on the road, I believe, want this space to be seen as inclusive. And that begins with identifying the privilege within the space itself. On top of being a voice for DEI advocacy in the outdoors, Keren is the founder of a nonprofit organization called Get Out, Stay Out, connecting Indigenous migrant children with the outdoors through hands-on adventures. Which makes perfect sense when you hear her share how she was introduced to the outdoors to begin with. <laughs> I grew up with my parents being these young, very excited, high spirits, people that would just get out and explore. 
without necessarily knowing the language or where we were going. They just really instilled this like spirit of adventure in my older sister and I. So I grew up uh, in the outdoors, but never in that formal sense. That has kind of been ingrained into us where you have to be this crazy outdoors person with the craziest gear. We did it very, very simple, but it's what really started the love for like my outdoor adventures. And when I was in high school, I was able to participate in a very intense 30-day program in Montana where I got to try all of the crazy outdoor sports, rock climbing and whitewater rafting and backpacking for 12 days. So that, in the moment, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I hate this. I'm never doing this again in my life. (laughs) And 10 years later, here I am pursuing it as a career and furthermore, encouraging others to try it as well. What made you say yes when you were in high school to doing that 30-day program? Honestly, a lot of it was my older sister. She had had a presenter come into her classroom and talk about all these adventures and things that she had never done before. And so she signed, well, she applied for a program, uh, was able to get a scholarship to do it, came back and said, you need to try this because if there's one thing we love to do is travel. And she said, somebody else pays for your flight to go to Montana. Uh, you should do it. And the biggest uh, enticement there was that I would get to get on a plane and fly out of Santa Barbara and had never flown out of the small little airport in Santa Barbara. So I'm like, oh, this is a free flight. And I get to fly out of a small airport. I'm so excited. I'm going to do this. So really, I think the biggest motivator there was my sister and the fact that I, I would get a free flight. And to this day, I still get super excited when I get free flights. Oh, my gosh. I totally hear that. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm glad they gave you a free flight then so you could go do that. And it's totally impacted your life in a beautiful way. I guess... In a similar fashion, just like I asked you about what prompted you to say yes to doing that 30-day intensive experience in Montana, I recently was so inspired by what you did sharing online about your experience doing van life with your car and just getting on the road and traveling with what you had on hand pretty much more or less. And, And we'll get into that. I have some more like logistical questions about that. But I guess similarly, I'm wondering what prompted you to do what you called fake van life for a little bit this summer. So the fake van life came about with the idea that, I mean, I had always kind of gone back to this idea about gear and how when we think about gear, oftentimes it seems really intimidating. Like, I don't know what the lightest and newest and whatever it is, right? Gear to me and what I have heard echoed in my community has been that it's so scary to even start thinking about all the logistics that you need. And when I thought about road tripping or being on the road for a while, I would see all these very beautiful vans that had sinks and these beds in them. And I don't have the means to acquire a van right now with a huge setup in it. So when I thought about fake van life, I'm like, well, I think that you can definitely sustain yourself on the road for extended periods of time without necessarily having this huge beautiful van or RV and I really wanted to share that with everybody else that necessarily doesn't have a van 
and that wants the dreaminess and to experience what it is to be on the road. So that's how Fake Van Life came about. And I had a friend who was getting married up at like in Humboldt County, California. And if you know anything about California, it is massive. (laughs) So I would be going from the Central Coast up to Humboldt County, which is about, I was going to take the one the whole time. And that was about a 14 hour drive. And then the second part of that, what like made me really commit was that I am so fast to jump ship whenever I start to feel discomfort. And I know that my Instagram says otherwise, but sometimes I get scared and I am very easily persuaded to leave something if I get uncomfortable. So I had made a commitment to myself that if I could post about it online, people would hold me accountable for it. And I would show people that you don't need the latest and greatest or the biggest or even the most comfortable car to be able to, in a way, imitate this lifestyle that is often only served to us with beautifully created photos. I mean, when I saw your very first social media post that you were going to do this, I don't know if you remember, but I instantly messaged you because I was like, this is the epitome of what I try to talk about a lot on the podcast. And that honestly, I'm not very good at following myself. Um, When I first hit the road, I was in a really big van and I'll be traveling by myself um, soon. And I still got a van like it's not a very big van but it's like still a van like I wasn't like I'm gonna sleep out of a car I thought about it and then I was like no that wouldn't be super comfortable or sustainable um but what I preach on the show a lot um that I'm just calling myself out because we're talking about accountability in this moment and what I preach on the show a lot is that you can go in any vehicle and while it is true that For sustainability's sake, in the long, long term, it is nice to have something that's a little bit roomier. I mean, people live out of their trucks, people live out of their cars, and they do it well, you know, and they're happy about it. And so it was very refreshing to see you just call it out very blatantly and say, hey, you know, I don't think that you need a giant van to go do this. I'm going to do this with pretty much just what I have on hand, including the vehicle that I have on hand. And that's really the spirit of this community and this podcast. And so I'm just, I have so many questions, but I just wanted to tell you that I'm just so inspired and so glad that you did share that online, even if it was out of a place of discomfort, which I didn't know about, you know, but wanting to be held accountable. I just think that's so great. So from a logistics perspective, I'm curious to know, you know, how did you prepare? Because um, it did seem like you brought just pretty much the stuff you had on hand, although I think you purchased a couple of items. So how did you prepare for living out of your car and traveling around doing fake van life for a week? Yeah, so I had just gotten back from a road trip with one of my good friends. He had been out here in LA for um, work training. And so I said, let's go out to the Sierras for three days. And one of the things that I noticed that only uh, backed up my thoughts from before was that I get really uncomfortable when I feel dirty, when my hair is greasy. I'm I'm a princess, (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. And so I knew that I needed an outdoor shower or some sort of uh, way to get clean. And I went online really quick. I checked on the REI website and I looked at the outdoor showers and there was one for, I believe, like $30. I'm like, okay, this 
is one of the pieces of gear that I don't own that I need to purchase. And so I grabbed that. And then from there, I just thought of the basics. What do I need? I need somewhere to sleep. I need somewhere to keep my food and I need some sort of light. I didn't necessarily think of any other comfort items. I thought of like the necessities and I began checking them off first by seeing what I had at hand. So somewhere to sleep. I remembered that one of my friends had an old futon mattress that they uh, used as their cat's bed. <laughs> so I asked him if I could borrow it. And he said, of course. So cool. I had somewhere to sleep checked off. And then I needed somewhere to store my food. And I didn't have a cooler at the time. So I stopped by REI, grabbed one really quick, knowing that if it didn't work out, I could always return it. And then some lighting. I needed light. And so BioLite has some really great lights that you can charge up through your AC plug. And those just seemed the most practical because I knew that I wouldn't have electricity or somewhere to plug in on the, while I was on the road since I planned on sleeping on either side of the roads or BLM land or campgrounds. And those are the things I picked up. And then from there, I just added in things that felt natural for me to bring. For me, it was a couple items of like makeup and toiletries and then clothes. I knew I was going to a wedding, so I brought that stuff. But pretty much that was it. I, it was very minimalistic. Yeah. Just a couple items of like luxury. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like sometimes the luxuries feel essential and, and that's fine too, as long as we're keeping it in check. I totally get that. I'm kind of a baby about being cold. And so socks and nice blankets and stuff were really important to me. And at one point I had a 12 volt electric blanket that you could have for your car. And I used that at night and I used it in the front seat. So yeah, I mean, I get that. I love that you shared just the basics and what the basics were to you, because I think a lot of folks are really inclined to take a look at what they see online and then possibly over-engineer things and say, oh, I need a solar setup and I need batteries and I need a fridge. And while sometimes it's helpful to have those things, you don't always need them. And so I just love that you are really demonstrating like, yeah, I just went out with things that were super essential and it worked. I'm curious to know what some of the best parts about being out on the road were. What were some highlights and what did you really enjoy about being out there? Oh, I mean, there's so many and I get super excited to talk about them. And most of them are pretty cheesy, but I think that if anybody has the opportunity to experience them, they should. Um, a lot of my highlights were when I had my road trip playlist on, singing, driving like 20 miles an hour, and just looking at the ocean and thinking to myself, wow, I'm so lucky to be able to have the time off to do this and to have control over my environment and what I'm creating. So I control my music, I control if I'm hungry. Like that in itself, I think, is such a huge well, privilege. Traveling alone is a privilege, but... I thought that was really cool. And then I also decided to bring my bike, not really knowing if I would use it, but it was probably one of the best decisions I made, even though it did get a little bulky at times. Um, because I went on a bike ride pretty much every day just to get acquainted with my surroundings and just to get some exercise. And biking around a new place is 
to me, probably one of the best ways to explore an area. You just get to see, I believe, so much more than you could cover either by walking or by driving. We'll be back to hear more from Keren after this. This episode of Women on the Road is brought to you by Deuter. They've been making technical hiking, backpacking, snow sport, bike, and travel packs. German engineered since 1898 for comfort, fit, and ventilation. We talked with newly married Lindsay Fader, who is currently living on the road in a sprinter van for a year. Lindsay owns three Deuter packs. My first one that I got was the ACT Light 35 plus 10. And I love that one so much that I got the exact same version in a bigger pack. So I got the ACT Light 60 plus 10. Um, and then I also got a day pack. But the two um, backpacking packs I have with us in the van and have been using them every week as we backpack and hike everywhere. Some of the places she's backpacked so far include... We went south to Oregon and we backpacked near Broken Top for a couple nights. And then just recently we went into the Sawtooths for two nights and did some fishing and paddling and it was a really nice trip. The reasons Lindsay loves backpacking aren't so different from living in a camper. I love that I can fit everything that, that I everything that I need into a small pack and be able to sustain myself and my partner obviously for like, you know, four or five days in the wilderness. The more Lindsay takes her Deuter packs out, the more they feel like a friend. Stay equipped for a life of adventure with a durable, comfortably crafted Deuter pack. Find your perfect fit at Deuter.com. That's D-E-U-T-E-R.com. When I say traveling is a privilege, I look at different aspects. And a lot of times I relate it from my experience back to my community. We're back. And if you remember just minutes ago when Karen spoke about her recent road trip, she noted that it's a privilege to travel this way, to travel at all. I asked her to expand on that. I mean, we look at the very fundamentals of traveling, right? Taking time off, having the funds to do so, and then having, well, where we get a little bit more shy to talk about things, the confidence and security to do so. And by this, I mean, if I'm traveling abroad, I have an American passport, which I don't think we think about enough. I mean, I have friends who cannot travel outside of California on a flight because they do not have a valid ID or friends who are essentially trapped in the U.S. because they do not have the documentation to allow them to leave and come back in. And then the second part of that is time off is huge. I feel extremely lucky, and I also know that I've worked extremely hard to be able to take time off like this as well. Traveling full-time or being on the road for extended periods of time is not something that's necessarily feasible for people. (laughs) Not everyone can do this. And I try to remind myself of that, even in the low times, that even in times when I'm struggling and on the road, I'm still so, so lucky compared to people who do not have that as even an option. (laughs) And then like being able to have a family that supports my decision to go out for a week. My mom is, I want to say, very progressive 
thinking as far as where she has come from. She came from a very conservative Mexican background where women are not necessarily encouraged to do these things. And yet she has never restricted any of my sisters or I from traveling abroad, from going on the road for a week. And she has always said that no matter what we're doing, she's just happy that we're doing it if it brings us happiness. So I could be traveling out of my car for two weeks and she's still there to support me. And I think I'm super lucky in that because I know a lot of friends don't have that support. And that's huge to know that if you're having a bad time, you can call your parents or you can call your siblings and they're not going to say, well, I told you so. They're going to be there to just listen. I know that there are a lot of places in this country still that people do not feel safe traveling through. And I experienced a little bit of that while I was on the road through certain parts of California. But for the most part, I think I'm very lucky in the sense that I grew up with people constantly telling me that I could, that I could, and that I could. And so when I am faced with a situation like this, I don't immediately retract. And I have that confidence and that security to keep going. I think of my parents and how brave they were to go into what they didn't know. And then I think of my aunts who oftentimes don't leave our small town for those reasons because they just don't feel safe and they're scared of what could happen. And I think that growing up in an environment where you're nurtured to grow and to have confidence, that's a huge, huge privilege that a lot of our undocumented and other populations don't have. You mentioned that while you were traveling around um, in your car that there were some times that you felt unsafe and it reminded me that I wanted to ask you what some of the struggles were with traveling around um, just as a traveler, as a solo female traveler, and or as a woman of color. What were some of the challenges that you faced while traveling around that week? Yeah, so to begin with like that first part of feeling unsafe, it oftentimes so takes me by surprise when this happens. It doesn't feel all safe for people of color. And I say people of color and not just women of color, because my friend Summer from the Brown Ascenders said this very well. She Somebody had asked her about what it means to be a woman of color, and she put into words everything that I have always felt, which was, I'm not a woman of color. I'm a person of color before I even start getting into a realm of being a woman, because that's people do not see that I'm a woman before they see that I'm brown. They see that I'm brown before anything else. And so when I was traveling through more rural areas in Northern California, that's when it might've been my own like paranoia, but I could definitely feel, and this is so hard to explain, right? But I feel like a lot of people can relate, especially people of color, that feeling that you can't quite like put your finger on, but you know that it's there and it scares you a little bit. And that's what I felt in some areas. That was a really hard part, not knowing quite how to define it, but you know that it's there. And then the other struggle is getting out of your own head, <laughs> especially when you 
start to feel a little bit doubtful of your choices. I think that that's where social media really played a huge part with me because I had people messaging me saying like, hey, this looks really cool. I want to do this. I, you know, I didn't think I could in just my regular car. And like, thank you for inspiring me. And I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I needed. And the last part of that is that it's not always rose-colored glasses. Sometimes you do get lonely on the road. Sometimes you see groups of people traveling together. And in a way, I kind of got like mom envy where I was like, oh, that looks so cool. <laughs> Let me be your friend. You know, it's okay to phone a friend in the times when you're lonely. I usually do that or I'll FaceTime a couple of my close friends to just feel, even if it's just for a moment, like not so alone. Something Karen wrote online during this time stuck out to me. Shortly after getting back from her trip, she put together a short reflection, asking herself, Would I do it all again? A shattered window, a stolen passport, a broken heart, type 3 fun. Would I do it again? Yes. The roads took a lot from me, but it also gave me an escape. It gave me peace. It empowered me. It let me cry. I won't romanticize it and tell you that the logistical nightmare that I had to face when I got home was easy. I cried some more, was frustrated. I had to make do with what I had left. But looking back, would I do it again? Yes. Should you do it? Yes. Will it be scary? Hell yes. But do it. Do it in a van, in a Civic, on a bike. Do it. We can't control the world around us or what the people in it will do. But we can choose to keep loving. We can choose to keep going. Whatever your reason for embarking on an adventure is, you know you are so worthy of it. You inspire me. You keep me going even when the unexpected happens. Thank you to all of you. Now go chase your mountain and create your trail. I just love that because um, it was a really good way to summarize your trip. And also there was so much depth to that. I guess I'm wondering when it came to saying like the road took a lot for me, but it also gave me a lot. Like it gave me escape, peace. It empowered me. It let me cry. What did you mean by that? Do you want to expand on that just a little bit? My car was actually broken into about two days before ending the fake van life series and a lot of my gear was taken and I had come home and I was thinking about everything the good the bad the really ugly (laughs) and I like to keep a pretty optimistic mind while still being pretty realistic and the truth is that yeah, it sucked. It sucked coming home and knowing that everything was taken from me as far as like my passport, my driver's license, uh, my money, things like that. But there was still so much that I gained from that week. There were moments where I doubted myself and yet I pushed through. And that was really cool to reflect on. And then there was also moments where I just felt so at peace and so happy and so fortunate and I knew that those feelings I wanted other people to feel and I thought about my parents a lot thinking man they will probably never get to see this the way that I'm seeing it and so when I got back and reflecting on that I thought about would I do it again I really did question myself would I do this trip again and the answer was yes I would do it again absolutely What do you think that you learned about yourself from this time out on the road? I think that I learned that 
I'm maybe not as big of a princess as I thought. <laughs> I I set myself this goal and I did it. I stayed on the road. I learned how to keep clean while I was on the road. But I also learned that being able to share this experience was I see because when I did when I started the fake van life series I didn't actually like have this huge I didn't think that people would actually be super super interested and it was so cool and I was almost taken aback that some people were connecting with it and I wasn't originally even going to blog about it or I you know I didn't go in with this idea that I would show people my everyday until there was all this feedback. And I was like, wow, people actually do want to know. So I think I learned that I shouldn't underestimate myself <laughs> and that maybe, you know, your your downfalls and your highs impact people a lot more than we think. I like that. I feel like that's a really good lesson for anyone going out on the road and also just anyone out there who is, I don't know, thinking that what they're doing doesn't make an impact. Kind of on that note, but a little bit different. I know that you're really passionate about DEI. And while you haven't been doing a whole ton of living on the road, um, you know, the the week-long stint was really awesome, but I don't imagine that you have become fully immersed in the hashtag van life community. Um, I guess I'm wondering from what you've seen online, though, with that community and with what you really care about when it comes to DEI advocacy, if you could offer any thoughts or insights or advice or even just hopes for how we can continue to grow and incorporate more DEI advocacy into van life, what would you say? And is that, I guess also, is that an okay question to ask? Yeah, I think it's it's a fair question. Um, I'm going to say that, like, I, I don't speak for the whole community. And I think sometimes we get a little caught up in that where one person says something, so like, absolutely, that's the way it is. And I think with the whole DEI community, we're all kind of trying to figure it out the best way that we can and trying to represent our individual communities in the best way that we can. So when I think about hashtag van life <laughs> and how it can shift towards being more inclusive. I remember using the hashtag brown van life and it had never been used before, which was kind of crazy to, to think about. But I think that people shouldn't fear differences. And when we fear having these hard and difficult conversations, it doesn't benefit anyone. For example, I went to this conference called PGM1, People of the Greater Majority, and it was a conference specifically for people of color. So everybody there was a person of color doing work in the environmental field, whether it was uh, programming, advocacy, or whatever it was. And it was so freeing to be able to not have to do any of the what I would call like the selling of DEI work it was straight into just how are we going to do this 
where are we going to go and who are we going to impact? Whereas in when I explain solutions to different audiences, it often starts with, this is why it matters. And so <laughs> when you ask that question, I'm like, okay, well, I got to explain why it matters first. And then we can start talking about what we can do. I think you started with a really good example, just that there are steps that we and I don't even see of like me asking that question. I'm also coming from a place where I don't understand that there are so many people who don't understand that this matters and that DEI work matters. And so I appreciate you taking the time to explain that with that story and just saying there are other pre-steps that you know, we have to like address first, kind of like what you were saying earlier about like, you're a person of color first before you can even address the fact that people would then see you as a woman. And so, yeah, I guess if I were to ask you any question right now, I guess I would wonder from your perspective as Karen Ramos, how would you hope to see the hashtag van life movement evolve so that there's more representation? I would like to see and it's just being real, I would like to see more real van life. Uh, the lonely, the dirty, the old, um, and the simple as well. In a way, social media has, I, this is just my view because I have not necessarily lived a van life, but I feel like it has turned this into a competition of who has the nicest and the best and who can sleep in the highest peak. And it really creates this divide between, oh, I can't do that because I don't know where that peak is, or I can't do that because that's not accessible to me because I don't have a van. So I would love to see it shift into a humanizing van life, a I work and on weekends I take off on my van van life. because, yeah, when people think of van life, they think, I can't go travel full time and, you know, leave everything and sell everything I own. But I can go on weekends in my Honda Civic with a mattress in the back. <laughs> and I'd love to see more examples of that. And I'm happy to say that Keren had some suggestions for where you can find some fresh perspectives on road travel, outdoor exploration, and DEI work. Yeah, so there are a ton of amazing accounts on Instagram, uh, especially if you would like to diversify your feed and get different perspectives. Some of my favorite are Brown Environmentalists. My friend Mikey has a media collective all about just highlighting other of our peers doing DEI work. Also, I really like Noelle Russ for like specific Van life. She is an amazing woman that is just so elegant with her words, and I look forward to every post that she has. Um, also, Fat Girl Hiking, uh, Melanin Base Camp. Now I'm really just shouting them out. <laughs> to wrap up our call, I asked Karen what she would say to those listening who feel on the outside of the van life we all see. And her answer came back to the reason we got on the call in the first place. I would love to see them just pack up their stuff and just try it out. I I want them to know that the road is literally big enough for all of us to to get on there and find our own adventures. And I'd love to see 
you know, regular people <laughs> do it in their very regular cars. And I, I would love to just see other people taking on that hashtag fake van life and normalizing it. <laughs> Thanks so much to Ken and Ramos for chatting with me so openly about your experience on the road and for sharing your perspective on DEI. If you'd like to follow Karen's adventures and hear more from her, which I highly recommend, you can find her on Instagram at NatureChola. We've linked her profile, along with other resources mentioned in this episode, plus a couple extras like a two-part series on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the outdoors produced early on by Gail Straub for the She Explores podcast in our show notes. We're taking a short break, so we'll be back in two weeks. In the meantime, make sure to catch up on the episodes we've been putting together this summer. And if you want to stay inspired with on-the-road stories and content, make sure you find us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Women on the Road and on Facebook, including our Facebook group for community questions, stories, and support by searching for Women on the Road podcast. Also, if you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Lastly, if you like stories of adventurous women, chances are you'll like our sister podcast, She Explores. You can find the She Explores podcast by visiting www.she-explores.com slash podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream stories. Music is by The Volunteer State, Josh Woodward, Jason Shaw, Jazar, and Tyson. Women on the Road is edited in partnership with Gail Straub and produced by She Explores. <laughs>